there's no bounds as in we just continue to grow out the biomes we continue to grow out the geologies and 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 you know add and and create maybe even uh you know imagine up new definitions of what what a world can consist of there's there's really no no ceiling there I'm with Kayla Kamali, who is co-founder and CEO of Lovely Studios, which just released this really amazing demo on Twitter and LinkedIn and all these other places online showing a world building system where you can enter a text prompt and it turns it into a world that you can start exploring. I, I thought it was really great. Other people have attempted this. This is the first one I've seen that actually looked real. So welcome, Kayla. Thanks for joining me to talk about the work you're doing. Yeah, John, thanks for having me. Super exciting. Since it's such a compelling demo, I want to do what I don't usually do and, and actually like look at the demo a little bit just because I want to share it with people so they see the magic that's going on here. So when I look at this, it starts with this create winter alien forest and, and suddenly I'm walking around in a world here and it goes through these other biomes and environments that I can, that I can go through really interesting here. So I just encourage people to look at the, the full length version, but we're looking at it here. Tell me a little bit about what we're looking at. And first of all, is this a world building tool for game developers? Is this a tool that you see consumers using? Talk about high level, what, what you're accomplishing with the product. And it's called Nyric, right? Lovely studio, but the product, the platform is Nyric, um, named after Oniric, uh, which is the the adjective for the surreal quality of dreamlike states, and you know, pretty representative to how this is kind of uh, operating, is that it's consumer facing. We want to make it for for gamers and players first. You know, in, in a space that there's a lot of agency potential in terms of 3D interaction, and that's something that was really captivating to me as well. It was just something I wanted to see more of and see. Uh, you know, what, what the potential could be if you could prove that out. And so, yeah, it uses AI. Players can give a prompt, basically break down the world into constituent components. And this can vary. You know, you can give the same prompt and get a different world. Uh, so it's kind of exciting and like, you know, rolling the dice every time you get to as a, as a third person and, and eventually, uh, you know, with VR and corporations, you can explore this world and, um, you know, craft within it uh, will be, you know, some, some later features where, Trying to create it as a an aggregate platform was is what we like to say. We want to you know make it versatile in in such a way that just about everything is is kind of generated on the fly. All of the content from you know from the meshes to the to the textures and. It takes a lot of partnerships to do that, for sure. Um, definitely want to, to shout out some some of our partnerships. Uh, you know, Sloyd AI, an amazing Norwegian company that's that's doing these real time meshes, you know, unique mesh objects, and Polyhive, uh, another an incredible texture startup. Uh, great, great folks over there. Um, big, big thumbs up. Uh, they can do some impressive uh, like 4K, 8K textures within five minutes, and they're out of, out of this world, um, you know, super, super smooth facing, like no matter what the mesh, they can make it, they can wrap it in a, in a very cool way worth checking out. Um, so yeah, the idea is that we want to build kind of everything as an aggregate. So imagine you can have these worlds built on the fly that they could persist, that you could have your own realm. 
then you could have uh, communities like a multiplayer community that you grow. Uh, there's social achievements one can make. There's crafting achievements. You want if you want to promote your space out. If you want to you know build and and trade within un like unique resources, these unique textures that you can modify. You can then explore other other spaces. The idea is, is, you know, eventually if we can make it all generative and build it out in such a in a what we like to call a ubiquitous rule system, which kind of keeps each world competitively aligned, uh, you know, limited, maybe some amount of randomness, but mostly competitive in terms of you know the resources that are spawned, so stuff like that, people can um, find some 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 drive and intent that that builds out these communities long-term that you've seen in other MMOs, you know, World of Warcraft, EVE Online, that, you know, that, that kind of experience, um, which is, yeah, what we're, what we're kind of going for. So you just laid out a whole template for a lot of really interesting things. So there's, there's the game itself and the experience of playing in, in a virtual world. There's the technology. Let, let's talk about the technology a little bit first, because I, I think that it's important to appreciate the complexity and the complication of building out entire worlds, because it sounds like we start with the text prompt and that brings something into existence. And then we've got to start pulling in assets, right? So it's a world, it's a landscape, but it's everything from trees to objects to you name it and then those actually have to be textured and look like something i i've talked about this in an article i wrote um online on my Substack about you know this very big map of the graphics pipeline that exists in games and how how many steps there are and and, and the complication of that but Let, let's maybe start at the beginning so i start with a text prompt like what is happening there? Is that using AI or is that a search? Like yeah, so the text prompt is using AI. Um, the game, the game can can be connecting to an API in real time, live, uh, and within ten seconds, um, it's it's using ChatGPT to parse down, break down those components. Uh, the a world, you know, we can we can try to define a world and and uh, probably accurately do so in many you know different ways through through biomes and geologies and this can apply for you know underwater worlds this can apply for for alien worlds you can add post-processing effects atmosphere skies lighting fog there's so many toggleable modifiable components that's just very exciting and you know this is just you know, this, the 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 product is still early but the we wanted to prove out the potential behind that and so um using chat gpt we can you know we can have it uh, give us the, those components. So that's what happens with the text. It comes in, and then we know what what range of things to build. Um, sometimes continuous. Sometimes you know we want a lot of variability in the size of things and and such. Uh, and and then those spawn um, real time in the world uh, within yeah ten seconds, uh, which is you know t uh, has been tough to do. That's uh, designing designing the the generation system has been has been an interesting challenge. Um, we're doing it in, in Unreal 5.1, but 5.2 came out today, which is amazing because the procedural content network, the generation networks, is going to be very good. Um, it's, uh, it's probably going to help out with landscapes a lot. Yeah, so uh, these assets, you know, static meshes, uh, textures, most games, the world is set 
somewhat as it is. You can manipulate the elements within there, but it's it's like what you see is what you get. Um, whereas what we're trying to do is is uh, very fluid and to build things out into like packed level instances, we have to use data layers. Um, there's like streaming proxy adjustments and dynamic materials that we have to modify. It's uh, It's been an interesting challenge, surprisingly harder than, than we expected it to be, but you know, doable. And so that's been fun, <laughs> just figuring it out, puzzling through. Well, I, I want to dive down into those pieces too, because I think people think it's interesting from the standpoint of the world building kit that you basically provided, but also just even within their own startups, different components that they might be able to use in a game, like, like some of the vendors that you were mentioning. But, but back to the language model piece. So you allow the user to, to provide a prompt it sounds like you're sending that to chat GPT. So do you, that's interesting because we're now taking advantage of full natural language processing. We're using chat GPT to provide the interpretation. And it sounds like the, if I understood what you said, response that you're getting from chat GPT is something around the data description or the properties of the biomes that you can then invoke. So I'm using its ability to have this infinite English or I guess any language expressiveness where I say what I want and to the extent that these biomes and properties are available within your system, it'll kind of combine those together into the world that's being built. And am I getting kind of step one of the process? That's how, how it works essentially. Um, yeah, we have pretty like the prompt gets parsed, uh, just a, just a Python script, uh, and we'll break that down into the components and make the the prompt that we will ask uh, ChatGPT as a series of uh, I think we have ten or so that we that we do right now, um, and we're pretty verbose with our prompts and we're restricting it to you know give us back very specific answers uh and you know we're limiting those we're, we're sometimes making it an array we're sometimes you know um sometimes it's it's kind of forced to make certain decisions but and so this is what we, why we call it whitelisted is that you know we're making sure that whatever happens a world will be created um and it's just going to be a matter of you know how wild is it uh, mm -hmm. that sort of thing that sounds almost like code generation when I go to chat GPT and I'm like, generate some code on this. Or if I say, give me this JSON object populated with a bunch of data. I don't know if you're using JSON, but it's giving you back a set of properties. Okay, so now we've got these properties. You'll have some of them, some of you don't. AI systems are very data hungry. That That is, I guess, the next part, like data, access to content and objects, because to make this have like I guess infinite or near infinite combinatorial results, that's where some of these other vendors you mentioned come in. So Sloyd, for example, tell, tell us about that and how do you use them? Sloyd is a fantastic alternative when we're not running on like a Tesla V100, when we don't have to do stable diffusion I know there's a lot of progress with NVIDIA and NERF. Um, and then in November, you know, um, Magic 3D, which runs off stable diffusion, uh, came out as a as a, a twice as fast option to the uh, Dream Fusion, Google's Dream Fusion, in I think April or so of last year, which was kind of one of the first like true, truly uh, impressive examples of text to 3D. Dream Fusion takes an hour and a half. Uh, Magic 3D, NVIDIA's Magic 3D uh, is is 40 minutes, so it's half the time, just about, and it's it's getting faster, yes, but it's exceptionally expensive. And there are, but there's ways to do 
this um, more performantly, and we and we also have like need to by by necessity if we're expecting people to to be able to work with um, meshes uh, that are dynamic. You know, they can't we can't be weighing down people's uh, hard drives. Uh, we so um, that's where Sloyd is 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 phenomenal because they use um they use a parametric base engine. They just um, algorithmically modify the meshes and like kind of a low poly. Like a table, for example, just consists of of a different series of like cubes and rectangles and and components, um, you know, and uh, manipulating those, uh, adding just like small components and pieces uh, intelligently is is uh, a really fantastic system that happens in less than 33 milliseconds. So really cool for the turnaround time for us as well, because we don't want players to just hang around for 40 minutes. So. I'm kind of hearing though, based on your design, that. You're, you could start aggregating together lots of these systems. So it sounds like Sloyd could be a generator. These currently slow 3D model generations are, are another resource. You could even use like pre-labeled meshes that exist in a library and bring them in. I'm, I'm kind of making things up here, but it sounds like the magic is happening in the biome description and the way it attaches this labeled data to the various components. Am I... Am I hearing that right, or or correct me if there's a better way to think about the architecture? You know, having having this system where it's it's kind of um, there's no there's no bounds, as in we just continue to grow out the biomes, we continue to grow out the geologies, and 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 you know add and and create maybe even uh, you know imagine up new definitions of what what a world can consist of. There's there's really no no ceiling there, and you know for another example, uh, we 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 working with um, Convey, we're using their SDK to, to have a little companion, like just a just a particle companion, quite popular. You know, you see like the little robot circle or sphere thingies and Halo and uh, Portal and Borderlands all over the place. Very, very good to have. Just using um, background characters and, and NPC building. And you can imagine, you know, once once somebody locks down on a world theme, then from there they could just uh, you know have characters spawn in that space and build up you know have persistent data you know as we as uh, large language models get better with long term persistence it's just going to get cooler and cooler and we're starting to finally see games that are doing that but the crazy thing is it hasn't been really happening up until now so it's um, it's it's a it's a no man's land for sure okay so you you've got virtual beings AI conversational AI powering characters in there as well which is which is really interesting. Just before we move on to that and some of the other aspects of this, so so it sounds like there actually is this very combinatorial aspect already in that you've got these parameterized objects that you can get from Sloyd and bring into the system. You had earlier mentioned Polyhive, who, as I understand, they focus on texture maps that can be applied to 3D objects. So just right there by just combining those two things together it sounds like there's for practical purposes an infinite possibility space are um i'm not super familiar with with them can you tell me a little bit about them how you're how you're using the texture mapping within your yeah um so this is a this is actually a pretty new partnership fortunately they have they have an unreal sdk which is sometimes a bit rare because a lot of games are developed in unity so how they work is they um Use a use a model that takes uh, takes a, an existing mesh. Um, players can either upload them uh, on the website, or you can just um, submit it as a as an FBX or OBJ file, and um, it, it will generate an image in a 
typically around five minutes or so, um, up to five minutes, I think. And you can, like, if you wanted a grenade as one of their examples, you like with all of the ridges and like details, it can, it can actually just make that. So you have a, a grenade mesh, which, you know, depending could be a couple hundred or a couple hundred thousand, uh, like, uh, uh vertices, but the, the magic is what they wrap on top of it, how they, they can emulate roughness. They can emulate, you know, sheen and different shading and damaging. And like, it's, it's kind of creating the whole thing. And so that's where we think there's, there's a lot of power. And if we, you know, the, the monetization component of, of what we're building is, is, um, we're still working that out because we're trying to be as non-Orwellian as possible about it. But, you know, we don't want people to definitely not a pay to win, but like, uh, Maybe people, if they wanted to pay a little extra, they could get a fancier, like more uh, photorealistic world that, that can take advantage of uh, Unreal's Nanite and, and Lumen um, uh, tech, which, you know, does a uh, real-time, like, level of detail based off of where the player is. It's performant and looks amazing. So that sort of stuff. I, I feel like every game studio that started building a virtual world more than a year ago and is in the middle of it has got to be super jealous of you right now because you're taking advantage of two really interesting convergent trends. So all of these generative AI technologies from chat GPT to the image synthesis you've got in something like Polyhive to um, these vast libraries of parameterized 3D objects and Sloyd, but also at the same time, all of this stuff happening with software-based ray tracing, Nanite and Lumen, like it used to be that we had to bake lights for a whole environment. And now you don't have to like talk a little bit about that, because I think that's also a really interesting convergent aspect of this thing where you're really having you're being able to focus on the creativity of the experience now instead of like go and do something super boring. <laughs> yeah, no, we we are very lucky in that regard. Um, we we don't have to build Roller Coaster Tycoon 2 in assembly. Uh, so that guy is one of my heroes. Um, <laughs> and no, it's amazing. Um, I think, you know, the timing of it ha couldn't be better. Uh, officially, I, I founded the company in February 2021, so about uh, two years and a couple months ago, um, originally as a, as a virtual reality company in, in Unity. So very different, <laughs> trying to build a multiplayer kind of avatar uh, elemental combat style thing. Uh, but that has obviously shifted. In fact, you know, uh, it was a year and a half uh, of development in Unity and then when, when Unreal 5 was released last, last April, we saw the potential with how performant this rendering could be, how, how easy it would be to integrate these assets. You know, when you want, uh, Unreal, uh, Unity is very performant as well, of course, but, um, you know, it compiles in C Sharp, whereas compiling down into C uh, can really maximize, maximize the opportunity for, for runtime capabilities. Um, so, like, that, that photorealistic threshold is kind of there for in terms of visuals and then the blueprint system with unreal is i think fantastic um you know previously i'd been a coder for eight years writing in c plus plus typescript uh python lots of bash scripting uh, i you know had been doing it for a long time i worked for a robotics company and did perception and computer vision but um i was I was able to jump into this in a totally, you know, a different system where you're not typing stuff out, you're just connecting nodes and found it incredible. I won't go into the details, like I won't go into the weeds about it, but um, yeah, big, big fan of, of that system. And it makes production very quick, very fun. Visually, it makes it makes the, uh, the, the kind of design process in your head a lot smoother, I, I find. 
Yeah, this is the direct from imagination era that we're entering into. It's this idea of we're using the physics of space and using that within the rendering system. So light is happening the way light actually happens versus what happens in game engines in the past, which is all these this bag of shader graph tricks that people figured out how to do shader programming tricks, um, which was great experientially, but it means that there's a lot more weird work to do. Now, now we're basically, basically modeling over real objects, which for, do, for combining that with what you're doing, which is all of these vast libraries of 3D objects and new texture maps and, and actually bringing those forth into existence, you, you kind of needed that innovation to happen or else you would have been back to the world of like setting up scenes, pre-baking them or something voxelized like a Minecraft. This gives you the expressiveness because of the physics that's taking place in engine. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, and there's, and it, it actually can't all be done still. You know, even now we're 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 in the midst of it for sure. There there are certain capabilities like engine level code that you can't change. You know, when it comes to how landscapes and how the 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 foliage is generated at runtime, they just you know there's too many editor functions that are linked to it that you can't you can't touch, you can't modify. Um, so you have to hack it in really strange and odd ways. It's where you know data data layers and level instances come in. There's ways to do it now. So that's the kind of a uh, high level developers had to face previously. It's just like a, a new a new level of challenges. You know, what can this do? Okay, well, what can it not do? Like, let's let's and let's figure that out and let's try to break it. The oldest paradigm in game development is, you know, me the game developer, the designer. I make something and then I ship it to you, and and now you get to play it. Along the way, we've started to have sandbox environments. We've had. Um, user-generated content. We've had things like Roblox and then even like, uh, Minecraft worlds and things like that. It seems like more and more of this is going to happen while you're playing and, and more immediately. I, I guess the question I'm getting at is talk to me a little bit about the player experience around this. How is this going to shape the way the players, the users, the citizens of the metaverse, whoever they are here in the future, how does this reshape the world for everybody? A lot of the motivation for me and my co-founder, Alex, uh, who's just phenomenal, uh, uh, been in the game development space for 18 years and just total, total powerhouse. We both had this shared vision of kind of coming back to the original theme of the metaverse, like how it was written out in, in terms of you know, creative potential and community building. It was like one of the first, you know, quote unquote MMOs. People, you know, the metaverse term has gone through some some roller coasters in the past couple of years, but, and some people would say metaverse is a dystopian term, even, you know, when, when Stevenson wrote it as well, no, the world was dystopian, but the, the actual metaverse itself was, was quite amazing and, you know, limitless. And I think the spaces that we could, you know, achieve and, and cre- recreate for people span social agency um, in particular, you know, having having a semblance of, of control in, in, a, in a crazy time. Yeah. Tell, tell me what, what brought you to this. So it's, you know, kind of tinfoil hatty, but thinking of where we are now, which is in the AI revolution, like how did we get here? What does it mean for people in the future? And, you know, the best thing to do is look into what happened previously. So, you know, the, the industrial revolution, beyond the, the agricultural revolution. Uh, so in the late 18th, early 19th century, there was steam power. Um, and, you know, that the steam power revolution destroyed artisanal crafting uh, industries and agricultural industries, but it created textiles and iron, steel, 
railroads and, and mechanical engineers. Then in the late 19th, early 20th century, there was the electronic revolution, the, the combustible engines. So again, further craftsmen were impacted. Agricultural jobs were destroyed. Textiles and um, kind of a lot of labor intensive jobs were, were destroyed. But what came out was more manufacturing, a lot more engineering, and transportation development for cars and railroads and you know the whole uh, assembly line system. To the mid late 20th century, there was the digital revolution. A lot of the manufacturing jobs were destroyed primarily. And then obviously we created IT, Silicon Valley, software engineering, you know, everything, uh, every revolution previously had a, you know, something got destroyed, but something came in to take the place. And, and oftentimes it was easier. It was, you know, maybe still entry level jobs, but more higher technicality, more white collar ease. So people aren't breaking their backs, you know, but here it's a little different because, you know, we're in the midst of the, uh, the age of autonomy where, you know, front end McDonald's uh, ordering systems are replacing face to face over the counter uh, people and such. But AI is now replacing jobs like solutions and marketing cinema, like the arts as well. It's kind of banning everything. R&D and like customer support, it's, it's massive scale. It's not clear where where people will go now. Historically, most automation was sort of replacing for lack what we might call for lack of a better term kind of unskilled labor jobs and then and then some skilled labor jobs as well but this is now also absorbing a lot of knowledge work and a lot of relationship oriented work so that's different and and potentially doing it at a much larger scale yeah in the midst of it we still don't fully know um it's it's hard to predict exactly what's going to happen but um what we can probably see already is that there's, you know, a big social existential fear like instilling, like it's, it's a lack of agency. If you lose your job to AI and you don't have anywhere else to go, it's a lot of, you know, control related fear. We're, we're building up the world, you know, of course there's going to, there's a lot of advances. That's, that's where I think crypto and, and with more stable, like maybe, maybe like real coins or stable coins and securities, things are going to start transforming once um, you know, certain, <laughs> certain components get settled, uh, you know, let the dust settle on everything lately. But um, yeah, I think that's where the metaverse has a lot of power. And so, you know, there's, it, it's, it's straightforward where AI has powers and in, in, has um, value in these, in these fields and offices, right? Um, you know, what, what does it do? It gives us these heuristic baselines. It can quickly give us, you know, not, not common sense, but like high level answers to a lot of things. I think there's a lot of power there and it just comes down to how can we make it, how do we have the tools, does AI give us the tools to escape, you know, some, not even escape, but build a new digital identity in a new space with your friends, with, you know, maybe, maybe ways to, to, to find education, entertainment, um, eventually, you know, fitness and just personal growth. And, you know, we want it to be more than just a game. That's where the, the world interoperability is really important to us. You know, I think Roblox is amazing and, and Minecraft and their game mechanics are incredible. And, you know, definitely stuff where we're, we're fascinated and interested in building out in some forms, but, um, we want it to kind of matter in a, in a, in a way that's, that's, interoperable, more persistent, like not a fleeting kind of uh, short-term experience, ideally. Well, you, you said escape and then you moved on to some other things that are, that are applications that move beyond escape. Is it possible that this is a realm where people will even be able to find meaning, like meaning through social connection, meaning through, you know, whatever they define meaning to be for themselves? What, what do you think of that? 
I mean, for, I'm I'm pretty biased to, to personally. I think I think 100. Um, you know, um, I've loved games since I was a kid. I played you know Roller Coaster Tycoon, Twisted Metal, the Tomb Raider, uh, Resident Evil 2. Well, I watched my stepdad play Resident Evil 2. I could uh, <laughs> Spyro, Final Fantasy Tactics, like so many games on different consoles, and um, it was amazing for me because. Uh, uh, as a kid, you know, um, my mom passed away when I was 13 from breast cancer. She had a decade, like a decade of dealing with breast cancer. And you, as a, you don't have any, any space to, to, to have, be, have your identity to, to kind of have a sense of control. And, and in that space, I was able to, you know, have something there and, and it was amazing and powerful in this, in that space, people built those worlds, but in, you know, one of my favorite games was the Sims and the Sims is, you know, you can build it out and you can do these things. And I think, um, you know, there's just, it's, it's hard. There's, there's a hard, uh, like human emotion. Like that's like, that is a, a component of human emotion that is consistent with many people, the, the vast majority of people, I think. And, you know, we're, we're cap games and television has shown that we're capable of, take going outside of our minds vr has shown that you can put on a headset and literally your brain's like okay i'm somewhere else now like it's it's totally doable i believe yeah when you talk about the sims what i'm hearing is you had agency there you were creating things or at least you had this experience of creation is is that part of what you want to bring to life within naira yeah i think so and um you know creation in terms of building your own world Having the idea initially is that you're you kind of your own character, but the character can evolve, you know, have different facets and and uh, occupations. When when we you know have our early access product, hopefully mid July or so, we'll be focusing on on talking to people in the um, role playing space in the Dungeons and Dragons and like hot general hobbyists. Uh, we think that they would have a lot of fantastic creative input uh, to to help you know figure out exactly what that what that means. We, we don't want to, we can't assume that we know, and we don't, we wouldn't want to, I think we're trying, that's why we're consumer facing as well. We want to build it for the people. Definitely an interesting challenge. And then just, we have, I have Alex, fortunately, <laughs> as my co-founder to just help with all these hyper complicated uh, gaming mechanics. Well, so you mentioned web three. So, and I, I love, uh, I love the bravery to use all the terms that, that have gotten kind of downtrodden over the last year or so, Web3, Metaverse, all of that, and, and, and kind of going back to the core of it. What, you mentioned the things with the assets and the speculation and whatnot. Let's kind of maybe push that aside. What is the core of Web3, if I'm hearing you, more about the interoperability aspects that you were touching on earlier in our conversation, or is there a bigger picture there that I'm with our, you know, focus on, you know, being maybe like a Steam product that you would download as opposed to web-based, uh, we haven't spent too much time thinking about how that would look. I think, you know, there's also when people say interoperable in reference to Web3, typically it's in terms of um, collective, like collective other companies coming together in like uh, transferable avatars, transferable like presence and um, kind of like a decentralized sort of way. Um, I think, but I also think that there's, you know, local, like there's a lot of power with when we start transferring assets that are larger, if, if people are local and like can kind of host these services in, in a pseudo blockchain like sense, uh, then, you know, we can get, we can start sort of leveraging a community server to, to make the world kind of living and breathing and, and growing in a, in a new way. Um, 
and you know of course as we add these game elements and components we will we want to and would have to monetize at some point so um different systems like you know um auto battlers or um you know mechanics that you know hopefully aren't like gambling but m more just like you know community experiences are are best fit for best fit for this format um, then it's just a matter of you know, ease of uh, ease of access to like uh, how how quickly can people jump on and get into this? And we want the idea is is you know for us we want to abstract it all as much as possible, get their foot in the doors, and just see see what the minimum requirements are to get that to happen. So uh, yeah, it's definitely in the pipeline for sure. Just you know exactly how we integrate is is up in the air, and I think I will leave to, to leave to the people who are uh, super super vested in this space for sure. When when you talk about community community servers, it, it almost sounds like a decentralization kind of approach to this. Or is it part of your vision for people to own their own worlds and places? I know that's maybe not where you start with Steam today, but where where does this go? I think like in terms of digital real estate and land claim and ownership, um, we're uh, reaction, like our first reaction is, is that we don't, we don't want to do that it's it's kind of like counterintuitive to leveraging what would be what is truly a vast you know digital space and there's other mechanics like in my head the idea could be you know if people want a competitive system they can like have their character uh function and, and exist in a like capitalist sphere and then there's a socialist sphere where that does not happen and it's different and you can like it'd be a kind of you know just like eve online which, which alex spent a bunch of time working on as well another shout out um has been working on is or had been working on is um these like incredible like studies that that you know uh phds have done on social behaviors and and you know how communities form and adapt uh according to these these parameters that they're built in with these with these with these worlds these these social worlds and um yeah i think definitely like allowing kind of anything to happen in a in a constrained not in a constrained way but like you know what kind of person are you what is your digital person what do are they interested in and what spheres would they you know want to kind of grow or or help build or explore and and you know maybe we can make that a, make that a possibility um, and, you know, MMOs are very enticing as well. Uh, Metagravity is a company I met at GDC. Uh, awesome, brilliant people. Um, I think they're based in the UK and they're just, uh, they're, they're working on like, you know, managing a single server with uh, like hundreds of thousands of people, which is, you know, we're getting to that point and, and they're, they're actually making it happen. So, you know, once we get there, then be pretty wild, I think. Well, what should people know about Nyric and, and Lovelace that, that we haven't talked about so far? I think I mentioned briefly on some of the components, but obviously it's it sounds you know pretty pretty large and, and, and still maybe a little nebulous. But the idea is we're going to be building a crafting system. We're proving out you know some 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 early game components, some some core game elements mm -hmm. that that people can play and, and want to you know continue coming back for. We want we want authentic organic. You know, we want to virality, network effect, K factor, whatever you want to call it. We want people to bring in more people and want to do that. And so, you know, uh, and and kind of differentiate ourselves as as a B two C, not not a B two B. We want it to be people focused. And um, so so things like you know the companion system, the NPC system will be coming out. Um, we we've been we're working on both the world building as uh, the world crafting and the companion system sort of simultaneously like 
Uh, and I think, you know, in the next month or two, you'll see some more videos coming out that are that, that use generative components in a different way. Um, and uh, I think that will be really exciting because it's going to it's going to start taking more form and differentiating as a as something that that is, you know, uh, enticing for people. And, and what we're hoping for is that, you know, July, mid-July, we'll have we'll have an early access release. Um, uh, maybe with you know some of the targeted role-playing communities, like I mentioned, but um, you know also by the end of the year, hopefully, like a like a full-on like a multiplayer experience for players to, to check it out and experience and build out these persistent worlds. Kayla, th- thanks so much for joining us to talk about this. Uh, the video you posted recently has gotten so much attention for a lot of good reasons. It, it looks really cool, and we we'll want to come back and talk about it again. And I'll be watching it online. So. Thanks for coming here, sharing what you've done so far, and also your vision. Absolutely, John. Yeah, thank you so much.